Good morning. Most of you probably didn't expect to see me this morning. I didn't expect for you to see me either. So uh, let's do be praying for Todd. Uh, he is sick. And so uh, got the call at 8 this morning. <laughs> so it'll be an interesting Easter, Easter Sunday. I'm glad we have the Spirit of God here. Uh, to resurrect any would-be attempts. Uh, let's do pray before we begin. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful morning. Thank you for these, your people. Thank you for the many blessings in Christ, particularly for the hope of resurrection. Thank you, God, that this world is not all that there is. Thank you that there's a day when all the pain and suffering and every tear uh, will be healed a day when we are with you forever and enjoy the new heavens, the new earth, when we finally shake off these old broken bodies and we take off the perishable and you clothe us with that which is imperishable. Lord, let us long evermore for that day and live even as if now as we await your return in Christ's name. Be with Todd this morning, help him to get better, help him to be comforted in, in the great affliction he's under, uh, Lord, and please give me words to speak in his stead, for your name's sake, amen. So, uh, we're going to attempt to to stay in line with what Todd had done, and yet I don't have this, we have very different mindsets, so I've kind of adopted the general and you know, put some stuff together, and it'll be what it is, and we just pray that God will be glorified by it all in the end. Uh, well, we are going to be talking a little bit about Satan, evil, good, you know, this, this classic story. Uh, Todd had referenced several stories, and one, one that particularly grabbed me was the story of uh, Doc Holliday and, and Johnny Ringo, and I'm telling you, I could sit here and quote these two characters all day long, you know, just the famous, uh, uh, I'm your Huckleberry. That's just my game, you know. And why Johnny Ringo? You look like you just seen a ghost. Um, and you know, in these stories, in uh, this classic story of good and evil, there's this sense that good is battling against evil in this, this almost even battle, and you don't know who's going to win, right? Uh, in the story of Tombstone, Johnny Ringo's coming after Wyatt Earp, and everybody knows Wyatt Earp isn't quite fast enough to square off with Johnny Ringo. How will good prevail over evil when evil seems to be the one that has the upper hand? And of course, in this story, Doc Holliday is the one, right? So through a twist of fate, Johnny Ringo ends up facing against Doc Holliday and death determines the one who wins. This is, this is the way the classic battle for good and evil has been waged. The one who wields death wins. And we just hope it's good. Well, it's interesting. Uh, and Todd brought up a great point. You know, those are really the terms that Satan would want you to believe. That somehow this is an even battle and we're not sure which side it's going to to turn out on, and that the one who finally kills is the victor. Like, those are the terms of this battle. 
Uh, I would posit those aren't quite the terms of this battle. Um, I think the terms of this battle might look a lot more like a loving father. It might look like one who has all wisdom. It might look like one who has no all who has all power, and no one holds any power over against him at all whatsoever. He's the sovereign one, the one who knows all things, the one who has had a plan from the beginning, from even before the foundation of the earth. This is really how this story goes. It's about a father and his great love for his children. It's about a father who desires to provide for his children everything they need for life. It's about a father who establishes a loving rule over his children. A provisional rule, not prohibitive. One that seeks their good. It's about a father who desires to abide with his children continually. This is what this story is about. Paul says in Romans 5, 12 through 14, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. What we come to see here is this relationship between death and sin. And I'd like to kind of take you back to that uh, fateful story that Paul's referencing in Genesis, uh, where sin and death entered the world. A fateful story of Adam, and... uh, who is to be God's representative, God's son, made in his image and likeness, to be a son of God. Um, and God put him in a garden where there was a tree of life and where every plant was for food and where there was a great river that watered it. And God had made all provisions for life in that garden. The father had made all provisions for his child. And not only did he put him there, he also gave him a provisional rule. From all the plants of the garden, you may eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat it. For in the day that you do, you shall surely die. You see, there was a reason he shouldn't eat it. And it was because he would die. That's a pretty good reason. That seems like a provisional rule, not a prohibitive one necessarily. He's trying to provide life for him. Um, and, and then also put him in a garden, in a temple garden, where God dwelled with Adam, where his presence dwelled with Now, does that sound like a loving father wanting to relate well with his child? It sounds like that much to me. And let's see what happens in this story. So here they are. Things are going well. And, and Adam's to extend God's loving rule throughout all the earth. What a, what a great command. What a delight. And here comes Satan, right? And Satan, of course, uh, she, he, he works through the woman, but ultimately Adam's deceived too. They're, they're both deceived. There's not one to blame over and against the other. And ultimately, Adam is the one responsible. So I'm going to speak about Adam. So I'll notice, I want you to notice what Satan came and did. Ready? First, he wants Adam to make his own provision. Has God told you not to eat? Come on. And they saw it's good for food, right? It's good for provision. 
And so, you know, they did. They extended their arm and made their own provision for life, not the one the father wanted to provide for them, but one for themselves. You hear the story and where it's going? And, uh, you know, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what is the knowledge of good and evil? It's wisdom. And the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You see, wisdom is something that we're to attain as we walk alongside of the Lord and as our benevolent Father gives us guidance and wisdom and skill for living in this world. But they saw that this fruit was good to make one wise in and of themselves, not dependent upon the Father. And they took that wisdom for themselves so they could rule themselves, not under the benevolent rule of the Father, but the ruling of self. And you know what happens. Here they've sinned against God. They've given allegiance to Satan rather than God. And so guess what happens? They're expelled from the garden, from the place where they abide with God and His loving presence. This is where the problem begins. You see, God is the key to life, and that's when death entered. Sin entered, which was them rebelling against God's love and becoming the follower of God's enemy, Satan. They weren't equal in power. Man did this. Satan didn't wield the power. Man wanted to be a God unto himself on his terms. Spurning the love of the Father, he sought to be his own provision. That's the pride that comes with the fall. That's the pride of sin. See, God is the key to life. And so they experience death. Because here's the thing. Augustine said it best. God made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. See, outside of God's provision, his rule, and his presence, there is no life. We're undone. We're incomplete. There is no shalom. There is no wholeness. Because God made us for himself. Sin is living outside of this provisional care. It's going your own way. Death is separation from life. It's separation from your physical body, from your spirit when you die, right? You ever looked at a dead body? There ain't nobody home. That's death. There's separation that's occurred. And death is separation from God because we were made to be united to him. And so they do experience death. God freely offered abundant life. So I want you to think back to the illustration. Think about the Father's love. He freely offered provision, loving rule, and his abiding presence. Satan instead wields death in order to bring about the slavery of sin. You see, Satan's tools are separation. He needed to separate man from God. And then he wants to wield the fear of death over man so that man will continue in the way that he has deceived him to go. And so the stage is set. Do you hear the story? The story is a little bit different than equal forces of good and evil and the one that dies is the loser. It's actually a very different story than that. It's hard to understand the solution when the problem is unclear, isn't it? Sometimes we miss this first part of the story 
and what Christ really means, what resurrection really means. How will God win back his people? How will the Father's love overcome Satan, sin, and death? That's the story. And you know, this is the thing. If he could, could God come and judge Satan? Let's, let's, let's play out this world story. Could God in his all-powerfulness come and wipe Satan out right way, right there off the bat? Could he do it? Of course he could. It would be nothing for him. But do you know what would happen in the event that God should decide to do that? All those who followed Satan would be wiped out at once also, altogether. So, could, could God be the victor in the terms of the story we hear the world tell of the battle of good and evil? Very easily. Through death, he could wipe out all of his enemies, Satan and all who follow, and he would prevail as the victor. I don't think any of us really want that story on those terms. And at least at one point in your life, for sure you didn't. Instead, we get a different story. We get a story that 2 Peter 3.9 explains. Ready? Listen to this one. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Boy, that's already sounded like a better story for me, just to be honest. He is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, that's a very different story right there, isn't it? The victor doesn't go and slay right way the evil and wicked, but instead is patient because he loves you and he doesn't wish for any of you to perish, but for you to have life as he has intended for you, his children. Boy, I like that story a whole lot better. It probably wouldn't sell near as many tickets, uh, but really, if this story is real life, it's the one everyone would choose. So God embarked in this uh, journey, this journey of redemption. And he doesn't do it quick. You know, God is kind of patient. You know, for him a year, a, a, a moment is like a thousand years. It's just really nothing. And so his plan unfolds over uh, a multitude of millenniums, which we're not going to take quite that long this morning. Um, we're going to kind of hit the cliff notes of this great re rescue mission and how it took place, really wanting to come to Jesus and what he meant within this story sooner than later. But God called Abraham originally, didn't he? And, and, and he promised that through him, he'd make a great people who were Israel. And that he'd bless them. And through these people Israel, he would bless all the nations of the world, everyone. Now that sounds like a benevolent father. Well, if it, Eventually, Israel came to be in slavery under Egypt. And this really became a paradigm for how we should understand salvation, what's going on. So it's a relevant story to hit on just a little bit here. Um, and so they were in slavery to Egypt, the great power of the world that Satan was obviously behind. And guess how they ruled? They ruled over people with the threat of death. You do what Pharaoh says, or guess what? You die. And people in slavery go, all right, so what do you say? Because <laughs> I don't want to die. I'm, I'm fearful of death because that's final. So 
what would you have us do? They're slaves. Well, God and his love and his story eventually raised up Moses. And through Moses, he made provision for his people through great miracles, through plagues that he, he struck on Israel. Um, in, in fact, eventually he wipes out the whole instrument of death of Egypt, the army. Do you remember? In the river, the army pursued him, right? And what, is God, what does God do, the loving father? He wipes out the instrument of death so that his people no longer have to fear it. He undid what the slavery of Egypt had done. This was his great provision for them, his deliverance, his rising up. Now, did the force of evil stand as an equal opposite force for God here? He made short work of it. It was nothing for him to do. And then we have the Passover, right? The Passover. This is where uh, God passed over the first sons of Israel. But there was a provision for them here. They, they, they would pass over, but they had to obey his provisional rule. Remember? They had to do everything as he had said. You see them already walking in his rule that gives them life, a provisional rule. They had to prepare the meal just right. They had to take it just right. They had to apply the blood on the door, doorpost and the lintel, right? So that the spirit of death would pass over them. So you see, they upheld his law where they received the provision of life from it. And then what did he do? He led them, pillar of smoke by day, pillar of fire by night. Here's his abiding presence leading his people. Do you hear the storyline coming to play here? Here's the story of the world. Fear death so that you can live. And here's the story of God. Trust in my provision. Obey my provisional rule. And abide in my blessed presence. Boy, those are very different stories. Those aren't the same story. Very different stories. Well, God comes to provide manna in the desert and eventually a land flowing with milk and honey. God shows that he's the father who provides for his children. He establishes his provisional rule with Israel when he gives the law through Moses, right? God's provision to uphold his law so they can find life and find it abundantly. He also makes a way for his presence to abide in their midst, in the midst of a sinful people. How does he do this? through Aaron and the priesthood, through the temple and all the sacrifices, so God can be there present with his people. It's the story of a loving father. But you know what? This story of Israel was never intended to be God's final story. It's not like he's blundering along like, oh, well, Israel didn't really work. Here, I'll try Jesus. Because remember, before the foundation of the earth, God had his plan. And God was going to use Israel. Because when we see Israel and we watch the story of their lives, well, just to be honest, sometimes it looks a lot like ours. I know for sure mine. I'm a man of little faith. I, my prayer continually is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm a man at the end of the day who is in continual need of the cross of Christ. I'm one who left to myself will err continually to the ways of the world, will, through the appeal of my flesh, from the world, from Satan, I'll be deceived at times. I'm sympathetic to Israel. I get it. I bet most of you are sympathetic as well. 
right? We got little sayings that, that characterize this. Apart from the grace of God, there go I. And sometimes there go I anyway. That, that was my part on the end. Because sometimes we're spurners of the grace of God. We stand in a great heritage of this. But God's love overcomes in the end. That's the beautiful thing about it. Um, and we see Israel failing. We see Israel, we see Satan posturing with the great powers of the world to threaten with death. Right? And then we see Israel doing just as Adam did. Seek to make provision for themselves. Right? Whatever it takes so that we can keep living. And you see them compromised rather than trust in God for provision. Right? I'll make my own provision. And then they'll make up new laws for themselves, right? Like, yeah, all we got to do is worship Baal and we'll get water and all the things we need. This is great. Make new laws unto themselves. Has God really said, you know what, we're going to make some new provisional laws for us? What does he know? They take on the wisdom of the world. Every man does what's right in his own eyes. Do you hear it? I need not the wisdom of God and his rule. I'll make a wisdom for myself, and there I will go. We all have tendencies towards these things, and continually they are caught into exile. You know what exile means? If the temple is in Jerusalem, that's where God's presence abides among his people, and they're being exiled away. Guess where they're being exiled away to? They're being exiled away from the blessings of the abiding presence of God in their sin because of their fear of death, because they've been deceived. Do you hear the story continuing? This isn't a story of the great empires of the world that wield such great power against an equal, maybe lesser power of God. That's really not the story. The story is that of a loving father pursuing his children through a very, very long time. It's a very long story. It's an epic story. And eventually you have the greatest words, the but God. Finally, I'm going to read for you just a small amount here. Finally, you have what God has been doing all along start to come to the forefront. And in fact, he's done that all along just so that we who are kind of slow in understanding, we are. So that maybe through a millennia of witness of how God has worked, we might have a little bit of clue about what in the world he's doing for our behalf. We're children who are slow to learn. The father has to really put the cookies on the lower shelf for us. And so in this case, he put them on such a low shelf that he unfolded it for millennium, okay, because we're slow. So after unfolding this for a millennium so that we could kind of catch up through generations and generations, now this happens. There's a new beginning there's a new creation that happens for us. It's an interesting, it's a new start. It's a new genesis. That's why it starts out this way. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus, by the way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So this Word is Jesus, and who is He? None other than God. He was in the beginning with God, so is this some haphazard plan, a, a, a last-ditch effort after all the failed attempts here in the end? Is that how this story's going? No, he, he was in the beginning. 
This was a plan from the very beginning. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He's the creator. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Here he is. Life himself has shown up on the scene. We have lived in slavery and death and torment and life. The creator himself, God, very God, comes up on the scene. And the word became flesh. He became a man. And dwelt among us. Isn't that what we needed? For God to dwell among us again. Therein lies all of our hopes. All of our hopes for provision. All of our hopes for benevolent rule. And a wisdom not of this world. All our hopes hinge upon the proposition that God himself would come to dwell with us. And so he did. He took on flesh and he dwelled among us. God, very God. And we saw his glory. We saw him as he truly is. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, deception is on its heels at this point because grace and truth came realized in the flesh before us. We're going to see love in terms that are unmistakable in this one. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me, by the way. In terms of birth order, John was first. And here he's saying, this one, my cousin, the one that came after me, he existed before me. For of his fullness we have received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Jesus came to reveal all of the Father's agenda from the very beginning. Matter of fact, Jesus at some point says, Hey, if you, would have, if you believe Moses, you believe me. You know why? Because Moses was talking about me. We come to find out that all of the scriptures and all that God was doing was revealing to us this one Christ, his son. God become flesh. This is what all this Old Testament is doing, was revealing who God is, how he is, grace and truth realized in the flesh for us children slow to learn, quick to err, prone to deceit, right? And so here comes Jesus. And he shows us the way as a man in his temptation from Satan. I just want to show something to you because those two stories are related. I thought I'd go ahead and connect them for us. It's going to be a a quick one, just like the other. Remember, Satan tempts Jesus, right? Jesus is in the wilderness, and Satan tempts him. Hey, you're hungry, right? You're hungry? Make provision for yourself. Tell those those stones to turn into bread, because you can do it. Make your own provision. Isn't that what he's being tempted to do? Remember, Adam? It's good for food. Take it for yourself. Satan's tempting the same thing to this second Adam. Take it for yourself. You know what Jesus, he, he says it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. I don't make my own provision. 
Life doesn't exist in the provision that I make. Man doesn't live on bread alone. Okay, he won. Victory won. He's going to trust in the provision of God. He's not going to make his own provision. This is the battle, guys. Do you hear it being waged? It's the battle of a son receiving the love of a father. Boy, this is a good story. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world, right? By the way, do you know what exists in all the kingdoms of the world? All the wisdom of the world. It's a great thing. This can all be yours, Jesus. For the, the rock-bottom price of worshiping me, Satan. Which, by the way, the first Adam actually did in obeying him. And Jesus says, yeah, well, you know, it's written, because obviously he's under the law of the Father. You shall worship the Lord your God and worship him only. And so here he is victorious because he has placed himself under the benevolent rule of the Father. Do you hear the story? This is how it's won. And this is an interesting one next. If you're the Son of God, if that's really who you are, Jesus, he takes him up to this pinnacle top. Throw yourself from here because, you know, it's said. Satan's like, oh, he likes Scripture, huh? Oh, well, it's said the angels will bear you up. A stone won't, won't break your heel, right? And basically what he's saying is presume on the presence of God if you really are his son. Presume on that presence. And it's interesting, too. In this world, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is present, does it? You think after 40 days and nights in the desert with hunger and great weakness, how would you be right now? Would you be really standing firm on God's present? You know, yeah, death's coming quick, but I'm good. I know he's present. Or do we start to question, is he really present? And here's Satan going, throw yourself off. You know he'll come at once and pick you up. But you see, he's not going to presume on that. He already knows God's presence because he abides in his presence continually. This is where he lives, is in the presence of his father. Remember when his parents were looking for him and he, he said, where did you think I'd be? Right here in my father's house. See, Jesus perfectly abided with his father at all times. And so he, he replies, it said, you shall not put your God to the test. I need not test his presence. I abide with him regularly. So here he's shown us a way. This is the resolve, but we have issues still. Jesus certainly overcame. Uh, and you know, we come to the end of his story. It's really important. When Satan finally has his way with the nations of the world, and all the nations of the world, Rome, the greatest power the world has ever seen, raises up along with God's people, by the way, and does their worst to Jesus. Remember Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just like we would, right? Take this cup from me. This cup of suffering, take it from me. But watch what the good son does. The one who trusts in his father's provision. But not my will, thine be done, Father. Thine will be done, even unto death. He trusts in his provision. He upholds his rule and he abides in his presence even though the nations of the world and see the nations of the world are still fighting their battle. 
So here's Satan standing behind the nations of the world. They deceive God's people, and the arm of instrument is the Roman Empire. And here they come to do their worst to kill Jesus, to punch him in the ground, because who's the victor? The one who kills his enemy, right? So these are Satan's terms. Do you hear the story? By the way, this is Satan's story, so be careful what story you're telling. Satan's story is if I kill him, I win, right? It's the great story. And God has a veiled smile like, well, Satan, do your worst then. And so he's allowed to do his worst, which by the way, he is allowed by God because God has control at all times. And Satan and the nations of the world come down upon Jesus and they crush him. He dies on the cross, the instrument of shame. And by the way, a warning from the Romans to all the rest of the people of the world, so go you if you defy the rule of Rome. So go you. You will die cursed on a cross. You see the terms of battle here for evil? The one who destroys wins. But we know a different story, don't we? Here's the story we know. Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Therefore, since the children, by the way, how did he refer to us? Children. I guess this is the father speaking of us here. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, Likewise, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So here's the devil going, I'll, I'll kill you and I'll win. Evil will prevail. And God, from before the foundations of the earth, had a plan all along, and it includes Satan presuming that was the story. But guess what? It was a different story altogether. <laughs> And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Those who were living by the story of the world and Satan to fear death, to make provision for yourself. And let me just stop real quick. Is anybody in here weary of making provision for themselves? I watch kind of a gasp of relief come over the crowd when I say that. It's interesting. It's like, oh. We're weary of making provision for ourselves and living as if our provision in life is our hope, which also assumes that this life is our only hope. Are you weary of making provision for yourself? And in that weariness, in that fear, in that fear of death to make provision for ourselves, we create new laws, right? Watch this. Work hard, get ahead. Be happy. Oh, okay. That's an interesting law. Okay. You, you ought to work hard. Jesus would even tell us this. In order that you might have something to give to another. Wow, that's a different story. Hmm. Be a provision. Trust in the provision of God and be a provision for others is really the story we're sold. Uphold the law of Christ against all odds, even death. Paul says if one of you would wish to pursue godliness, 
you will be persecuted. So apparently this isn't a law for great prosperity in this life. It's a law that brings persecution. But in the end, our hope isn't in this life. In the end, death doesn't hold us, which is really awesome. It's a different story altogether. Carl Barton, the cover of Time Magazine, 1968, and I used to own that edition because I loved it, because you'll never see a cover on Time Magazine like this ever again. Here's what the headline said. The end of life is not death, it's resurrection. Wow. Something so profound, and it's been forgotten much like everything else. But the reality is that we are resurrection people. We're a people whose provision comes from God, and ultimately that provision comes in the end. That provision comes when this world and the ruler of this world finally makes claim on our lives and we go into the grave. And then comes God's great provision, and guess what it is? The grave doesn't hold. He lifts us up again in life because death never had power, because Satan doesn't have power, because Jesus overcame it. He overcame, he showed the way. He bore your sins so that God could dwell with you forever, that you could dwell with God forever. He bore your sins on the cross. And he was raised by God in resurrection, showing both that he was perfect in righteousness, death had no claim on him, but also that you too who are in him, who have trusted in him, will also, who have died with him, will also be raised with him to life everlasting. We are a new creation. And yes, we still have these bodies and we greatly long to shake them off finally, don't we? And be imperishable. But until then, we've been given the one thing that was our great hope in this story, right? God's presence. God, very God. One of the things Jesus did was cleanse a temple once and for all so that the presence of God could dwell among us forever. No longer on terms of if you, then I. Now on different terms. Because I, so you. Because Jesus died and cleansed a temple once for all, the perfect high priest, so now guess what? He dwells here with us forever. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And what happens at the end of the age? It's a great thing. There no longer is a temple because God dwells with his people. This is our great hope. The, the perishable is made imperishable. Our hope isn't on this side of the grave. You see, the battle of good and evil wants that battle to exist here and only here, Right? And so it looks like, fight for yourself. Make your provision. Make it up as you go along. Whatever works. Pragmatism, ready? Whatever works in this life, do it. It's good. We'll do great. We'll have lots. After all, where's God? And see, this is the way it really works. The Father has shown his love and shown his plan in that he's given his only son and that his son himself was his provision. God is your provision for life, not bread alone. It's God himself. 
His Son, Jesus, who is your provision for life. Because through Jesus, your sins have been forgiven and death no longer has claim on your life. Therefore, guess what? You don't have to live in the fear of death, making a way for yourself all the time. Death has been dealt with, and now you get to live in the freedom of the sons of God. And not just that, Jesus ascended into heaven. We don't always talk about this. And sent his spirit, God, very God, to dwell amongst us, a deposit of eternity so that Paul could say, you are new creation. You have died with Christ and you are alive with him. You've been raised with him. You're new creation. God, very God, dwells in you. Live as if. Live as if the new heavens and the new earth, even now, because you're so certain of that reality. That's what resurrection life means. I live as if I don't fear death any longer. We're fixing to do baptisms. I want you to understand what this is. These are young and older men and women who have come to understand that the provision of God through Christ is their provision through their loving Father. They've also come to understand they receive that provision in this life right here where his presence dwells. This is their entrance into the people, God and his people. Notice they don't baptize themselves, do they? You ever seen someone baptizing themselves? Who baptizes them? The church who's been given authority of the Father, Son, and Spirit to baptize them in his name. And what's bound here on earth is bound in heaven. So these people are entering in to this new covenant people of God where God's provision is, where his presence is, and where we uphold his rule, the provisional law of love, the law of Christ, where we uphold it among us. That's what's going on. And so when they're baptized, they are dying with Christ, and his death is on their behalf. Their sins cleansed once and for all, and they're rising to new life where death no longer rules, and sin no longer rules, and Satan no longer rules because they rise a child of God who receives the provision of the Father. And we too are his children. And they are entering in to this sacred covenant people of God where we are brothers and sisters, both receiving the provision, being the provision, and abiding with God who dwells among us, upholding the law of love among us. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. It's about a hope on the other side of the grave and a deposit of the great hope to come even now so that we can live even as if the new heavens and new earth has already come because they have come in a deposit. God is with his people. Evil has been overcome. And God is only waiting now so that we might proclaim the excellencies of Christ and all that he has done so that God would draw others to himself. He's being patient just as he was with you so that he might draw many others to himself before he finally comes and judges Satan and all those who follow him. Well, for those who are being baptized, please go be prepared at this point.
I've given the gospel message on in unfamiliar terms this morning, but make no mistake, the only thing I've spoken of this morning is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the provision of God. Jesus Christ is the law of God, the law of love, the law of Christ that we uphold among us. Jesus Christ is the one who made a way to God's abiding presence with us forever, forever, forever. Death has no claim. Satan has no claim. We have a hope that is sure and steadfast, and we live in the certainty of that hope even today. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. Thank you for resurrection, that our hope is not in this life, but in a life to come. May we live even now in light of that hope. Until the day, and Lord, may we long for it, when faith and hope are no more, because love is all there is. This is the day when you feel all and are in all. May we long and live for that day every moment, not just this one, until you return. Amen.